Welcome to the Toasted Sister Podcast, radio about Native American food. I'm Andy Murphy. Donnell Barlow is a certified holistic health coach in Spokane, and she's enrolled Ottawa. In the next 30 minutes, I'll talk with her about meatloaf, the influence her dad and grandma's cooking had on her life, her recent trip to New Zealand, and her first book. All right, Donnell, I made your bison meatloaf a couple weeks ago, and it was really, really tasty. It had that elderberry glaze. Um, it took me a little yeah. while. Yeah, it took me a little while to make the elderberry glaze and to get. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't find any rose like hips hay. around here, but it was it was very, very tasty. It made my whole apartment smell like oh my gosh sweetness savory you know bison oh, meat that's awesome. and everything. it was like the best food smell that had ever come out of my kitchen in all this time what? that i've been what? cooking Say yeah. that. that's crazy talk you make yeah. a lot of amazing food though i look at your instagram <laughs> and you make a lot of tasty food thank you thank well, you but that was like the best. if you make it then just like make a lot of it and then just you know store it <laughs> right 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 that was just the best you food can put glaze on everything yeah yeah you know what i actually when i was draining the elderberries for the 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 um the clean uh, liquid coming out of the elderberry uh mm-hmm. stock um i actually sucked on the paper towels because that that sweetness, all of that reduction and everything was just so delicious. Like literally sucking mm-hmm. on the paper towels I used to strain at the sauce. Very delicious. Oh, <laughs> that's good. Well, and then I also make uh, elderberry gummies oh. um, before I turn it into like sauce. So I'll take half out and then add the collagen mm-hmm. um, to it. And then I added some hibiscus to it too and some orange zest and made like little gummies. That you could pop like vitamins, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna sense. have to try that. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw yeah. your website just a while ago, and I saw a little look like a little ice tray full of little gummies. Yeah, they're just like little tiny mini ice tray. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm and then you can get them that. into little ones. You know, if they don't want to do the syrup, mm-hmm. you can get them. And then they're also getting the collagen too. Nice. So, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, on your website, you have you, you do lots of different things. Yoga. Um, you meet with um, different clients about uh, different healthy things. You're a health central centered person. There. Um, tell tell me about some of your beginnings. I mean, where do you come from, and how did you start cooking? Well, um, I actually come from being raised by a single father and. He did not know how to cook. Actually, the one thing he did know how to make was meatloaf, but it was not very good. Um, and so I actually grew up a lot on processed food, and um, I struggled a lot with that growing up with a lot of um, stomach ailments, and I didn't feel well. And when I got to about 16, 17, it got progressively worse, and so I went to go see some special specialists. And they told me I had um, IBS or irritable bowel syndrome and basically didn't ask me anything about my diet at all, um, but just gave me some, I like to call them band-aids of medicine. And so for me, I ended up having to really um, sit down and figure out like what I was eating and how my body was feeling. And I started food journaling um, and that kind of started my journey into um 
finding out what my relationship was to food and also what worked for me um, at the time. And then, of course, that continues to change as I get older, a different environment or stress level. I I can tweak my diet here and there. And you also work with kids. I've seen um, different photos of you sharing different meals and teaching kids how to cook. Um, Why is that important Mm -hmm. to you? Oh, yes. I definitely, I mean, when I went into the health coaching um, industry, I was trying to find my niche. And I really do like helping, you know, the general population find out what their relationship is to food. But working with the Native youth, um, it took a whole other aspect of, of the work I wanted to do. I found so much passion in, in talking to these kids and figuring out, you know, you know what they're eating. And for me, in order to actually change their behaviors, we need to understand, first of all, where the plants are coming from, um, the nutrition behind the plants and the medicine behind the plants. But also we need to cook because um, the energy that we're putting into that food, you know, we're absorbing that as well. And that's why home-cooked food is so, so – it just tastes so much better because it's made with love. And, and if I can get to these kids young, you know, when they're still um, willing to try – and, and, you know, willing to change, it's a lot harder with the elders, I can keep them from, you know, later on the road becoming diabetic, which seems to be such a huge issue, um, not just for us, but all Indigenous people, you know, around the globe, that the Western diet has really significantly changed our health. Teaching kids how to cook, has that maybe fallen out of favor with parents? I mean, are, have we become too busy? I mean, why, why is mm-hmm. there this, it seems like there's a need uh, to teach kids how to cook. I mean, why is there a need to t- uh, get kids involved, get them in the kitchen? Well, yes, it's definitely changed quite a bit. You know, cooking used to be an essential skill that all of us had. You know, all it was something that was passed on from generation to generation. And then through the change of the industrial period and processed food um, and microwaves, I mean, we've just become so we're not patient and um, we're not looking into actually where our food is coming from and how far it had to travel to get to us. And so I find it so essential that we get those kids in the kitchen now and start understanding that relationship. Um, but really, it first starts with, you know, growing the food or foraging the food um, and understanding, you know, where it comes from in that whole process. Um, and then it also gives them a better respect for the work that maybe their parents are doing or their grandparents are doing to provide food and dinner on the table. All right. I'd like to go back a little bit. I was just kind of uh, looking at my bulleted list here. I have a couple of different topics that I'd like to go over with you. And I just kind of blazed over um, uh, indigenous <laughs> cooking. Uh, how did you get involved in uh, indigenous uh, ingredients, indigenous cooking when, um, you know, like you said, you grew up uh, eating lots of processed stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I got into it. um You know, I grew up when I would spend time with my grandmother in California, um, and she lived in Eureka. She definitely, at the time when I would spend time with her, I got to try indigenous foods. And I remember those, you know, I remember those special moments and what it was like to be eating the salmon and we'd eat the salmon skin and she would dry out seaweed and, and she would cook eel for me. And, you know, you go back to those moments when, you know, food is related to special moments in time and your loved ones. And as my diet began to change, um, I wanted to really go back to the way that my ancestors used to eat. I definitely feel like that is some of the strongest medicine that we can have. 
And obviously, you're genetically designed to be eating those foods because it's coming straight from your blood. And um, so when I got into cooking, I actually was a vegetarian for 10 years. And then when I decided to change my diet, I began with bone broth because that's something that all of our ancestors ate. Um, is really you get complete nutrition just within the broth. Um, and I just found more and a more of a need to get back to those indigenous foods that are so healing for my body, as well as I found how important it was to get those kids to getting back to eating that way as well. I've been seeing uh, bone broth a little more in um, different recipes. Why, why is that so um, uh, nutritious? Well, bone broth, really the, the method behind it is that you're slow cooking these bones. And so it's allowing the collagen and all the minerals that are in those bones to leach into the broth. And then that collagen actually um, seals up holes that's in your intestinal lining. Over time, um, if our stomach is going through a lot of gut issues, if we're having a lot of flare-ups, um, what's happened is there's holes that have... Um, started to form inside of the intestinal wall. And then bacteria, among other different things, can leak out and cause inflammation in the body. So you truly are what you eat. And so then the collagen comes in and it helps seal, so, seal those holes up, which helps with your, um, your stomach lining as well as increasing your immune system. Um, and it's very easy to digest. So people that might be going through um, some chronic illnesses or recovering from something or young ones or, or elders are all able to, you know, get the proper nutrition just from bone broth. Uh, what other ingredients have you been um, experimenting with or you've been just feeling enthusiastic about these days? Well, I actually, um, so I really love learning about different traditional foods um, from the different places I visit. And I spent a couple months in New Zealand over the winter. And I just I was so fascinated about finding um, the commonalities, but also the differences in the foods that we're eating with these other indigenous people. Um, so one of the things that I fell in love with was um, a tamarillo. And it's a tomato, but it kind of tastes like a nectarine. And so it's kind of if a tomato and a nectarine had a baby, um, and I've never had anything quite like it. But there also is some commonalities. Um, they have fiddleheads that grow um, wild um, out in the bush out there, which are kind of like ferns, and they taste like asparagus, and they're really good for the body. And we have them in the Northwest as well as when I was back in California. I found them um, in the woods. So um, those are some of the ingredients. And now that we're getting into spring, um, we can start, you know, digging up the camas and the bitterroot and um, start harvesting all that stuff that's going to be lasting us throughout the rest of the year. Here, uh, indigenous people, we're, it seems like we're kind of like piecing together our um, indigenous food. I mean, um, a lot of us are dealing with the, the loss of indigenous knowledge, and now we're kind of seeing a resurgence of indigenous knowledge, uh, indigenous food knowledge. Um, but in New Zealand, how close are the people to their indigenous food knowledge? Have you Did you observe any of that? They are actually pretty close to, I mean, they obviously have some of the same issues that we do. They eat a lot of fry bread, you know, which I wasn't expecting. They actually had fry bread at all of the takeaway places almost that I was at. Um, but, you know, they are very, very still tied to their language and their culture and their food tra traditions. 
And and I saw a lot of that when I was over there. Um, they definitely had experienced some of the colonization that we had, um, but it wasn't quite to the same level in some parts and were able to keep a lot of their culture. Um, and so when I got to be a part of two welcoming ceremonies while I was there, I got to try, you know, lots of their um, indigenous food. And of course, it's a, you know, it's along the coast, so there's lots of seafood. Um, so you're going to see a lot of that. But um you know, they have the same type of respect for it um, and tradition. And, and and as a guest of a Maori household, you always have to eat first and be served first before even the elders and the children. They wait for you to, to get your plate filled up, <laughs> which is something I wasn't used to right, in America right. at all. So, <laughs> what, What's one dish that maybe you'll never forget that you ate in your time at New Zealand? Oh, my goodness. Well, one thing I have to say that I'm going to bring back is, is beetroot. So they eat a ton of beets over there, tons of beets, tons of beet relish, and it's on everything. And beets are so good. Um, they're such blood builders, and they're so good for the heart and detoxifiers for the liver. So I'm definitely going to go a little bit crazy with the beet relish and the beet action. But I would say oh, my all-time favorite would be the seafood. Um, we actually went and foraged uh, to a twist or their clams and made fritters. And that's not something I, you know, normally get to eat at home, but I just, they were amazing to actually get to go and, you know, collect the clams and, and the whole process. I mean, those were just some of the best food that I ate there um, were those meals that I shared with the families. And you mentioned that they had, uh, they made a lot of fry bread. What, what kind of fry bread? Was it more like the flat, large Navajo fry bread or like the thick ones from the Plains area? Yeah, it was thicker and denser, more like the Plains. Mm. And they made them like sticks too, like fry bread sticks. So if you think of like bread sticks, <laughs> okay. but they were fry bread sticks. Right. Um, and it's just, yeah, it was kind of strange. I wasn't expecting that. And I saw fry bread at both of my welcoming ceremonies, not just at all the, the fast, they call them takeaways, but it's basically kind of fast food, but you have to actually go inside and they actually make the food there. Um, but it's still, you know, all fried, of course, but it was definitely more dense and they had never heard of Indian tacos. So I made a couple of the, I made some for some of the families while I was there. Okay. All right. When, when, you, when you said that they had fry bread, I'm like, darn, they must have had a, a, you know, a Navajo there. I mean, everywhere I call for my work, you know, all these tribal communities, I, I get to mention that I'm Navajo. And they're like, oh, we have a Navajo over here. His name is so-and-so Yazi. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> there must have been one in New Zealand that, that made yeah. fry bread. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's true. No, I don't know. But it was everywhere. Right. You know, it was something I did not expect because, you know, even where I live, it's like there's fry bread when you go to events and powwows and stuff. But we don't have fry bread that right. you can just go different places and they just sell it everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. in the city. So <laughs> that was unexpected for sure. But they're dealing, yeah. you know, with the same issues that we do mm -hmm. um, health wise related to the food. All right. And uh, uh, along the way, I've been watching um, different places you've been going to in New Zealand via social media. And um, your appearance changed. Uh, you got a couple more tattoos. Uh, can you explain uh, your new piece? Well, I got quite a bit of tattoos, yes, on <laughs> my last few trips. Um, when I was in New Zealand, I did get my hand tattooed. And um, they call it Tomoko. 
and I got it done by a Maori over there, and it's uh, it was you know really special because the, a lot of the indigenous tattoo artists they don't stencil a lot of the work they do; they actually just draw it right on. And so when I told him about my journey and what I was there for, um, he just started drawing, and it was it was incredibly special um, for it to have it be done that way. And then before he began. Um, he said a karakia or a prayer, which I also liked that component of it as well. Um, but one of the main designs in my tattoo, um, they call it a potama, but the Yurok refer to it as the stairway to heaven. And so it was a design that I saw not only in their culture on all the marais and different pieces of artwork, but I see it on the baskets um, of the Yurok tribe back in California. So it was cool to have some of the same designs and some of the same meanings, you know. Um, between two different coastal, uh, coastal and indigenous peoples. Mm. Um, and then I actually got the rest of my tattoos when I was in L.A., um, and it's called a throat collar, and I'm uh, using all of the traditional uh, Yurok designs and having them redone into a, a throat piece. And I'm still in the works of that right now, so um, I'm up to 16. I did 16 hours when I was there. <laughs> wow. In four wow. days, so. Um, they, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they say that, um, you know, once you get your first tattoo, sometimes you get addicted to the, to it. Is that, oh, is that you? Most definitely. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have. And, um, and I'm actually redoing my sleeves uh, to get all uh, Yurok tribal and some Ottawa tribal designs. Um, and then I was able to learn how to hand poke tattoo while I was there, um, which is, you know, incredibly special because that was the first ways that indigenous people tattooed each other was the hand poke method. And so the person who taught me um, is wanting to keep that alive among other indigenous tribes. And so he taught me how to do it. And I did my first tattoo when I was there. Um, so I'm planning on to continuing to practice and, um, you know, improve Nice, nice. Any tattoos connected to uh, food? Well, I mean, yes. So I actually did the one that I got in New Zealand. Um, he did, uh, when I mentioned earlier, the um, fiddlehead fern. They call it a koru. And he did that on my hand so that because that's one of their traditional foods and our traditional foods. And then he also did some fish scales called the Una Unahi, and that represented um, their salmon because they eat a lot of salmon, as well as that being, you know, a traditional food, um, not only where I live in Washington, but also back with my tribe um, by the Klamath River in California. So those ones are related to food. Um, and then I have a fruit bowl on my stomach. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's the only food, the food-related ones I have for now. Are you running out I'm of running space? out of room though actually I'm almost out of real estate at this point. <laughs> so right. Uh so Dance Jam Kitchen um are you still uh, doing those videos or what's going on with that? Yes, I am still doing those videos. Um I have been extreme I've been uh busy with some other projects since I got home. Mm. Um I'm actually writing my first book and so I'm just a few chapters away from being done with that, which does include some of my knowledge of, you know, different traditional foods and plant medicine as well. Um, but I want to do a New Zealand episode. 
So that's what I'm planning for the next Dance Jam Kitchen is showcasing a little bit of that New Zealand cuisine, but that we can actually do, you know, from home. Or we'll actually have all the ingredients <laughs> within our country to make the dish. But I want to, I want to definitely give homage to my trip over there and you know some of the some of the food knowledge that I learned. Uh, your book, what is that about? Um, so my book is, I don't have a title quite yet, um, but it's a memoir of the last about four years of my life. And it's really um, about my relationship to my father and um, looking at those different life struggles and that adversity that you face as perhaps if you looked at it as a gift to propel you forward. Because um, within those moments, you can either really repel yourself forward and, and go through it on a different path, or you can step back. And so it's just me sharing my story um, and some of the things that I've experienced. And I'm hoping that people can see themselves or find their uh, own healing within within my words. All right. You must keep us updated on uh, when, when you get that finished, when you get that published. That'd be a great read. Yeah. Mm. It's exciting. I'm nervous. It's exhausting. <laughs> um, it's also another type of healing because you're expressing, you know, this part, these times of your life, and you want people to feel what you're feeling and feel that it's genuine. And so you have to relive it by putting those words down on the paper. And, um, you know, and it's, it's creating a new healing for me as well that I didn't expect. All right. Uh, one of the, the main questions I've been asking everybody who's been on the show so far is um, what they think um, indigenous food is. Uh, so I'd like to know, what, what is your definition of indigenous food? Hmm, that is a good question. For me, indigenous food is, for me, the, when I feel mostly connected to the food, is from the beginning of the process to the end, at least. Um, for me, indigenous food is going out there and foraging your food, um, having the right, you know, intentions as you gather the plants, not taking more um, than what you need and making sure to leave enough. And then, um, you know, the way that you prepare the food and going in and going into that whole process. Because all of our ancestors, no matter where you came from, there was so much work and so much more intent and effort put into a meal. And so for me, indigenous food is honoring that, honoring that process, whatever that was, and, you know, trying to recreate it as much as we can, you know, in today's world. Obviously, I live in a city and I can't cook underground or cook in baskets, Um but it's just putting that same intention, you know, and honoring and understanding that there was a, a purpose or a ceremony or a prayer tied to, you know, these food ways. Another one of those main questions that I've been asking everybody um, after they give me the definition, their definition of um, indigenous food, it always seems to be, um, you know, yeah, taking it back, um, honoring how our ancestors ate and what they found flavorful and what they found uh, necessary in their areas um, they were growing up in. Um, 
how do you think we could get back to that? Because sometimes when I listen to these different definitions, it seems like, you know, coming from the res, I grew up on the res, um, something like that is not possible. I mean, sometimes our people are just struggling day to day to put food on the table. They're growing up with that processed stuff because that's the fastest, that's the cheapest. Um, you know, what do you think is, is realistic and are we moving towards that in Native America? I definitely do think we're moving towards that. Um, I just think that, you know, some tribes are a little bit ahead of the game and maybe have more um, access to to having such programs. When I went to the Indigenous Food Symposium a couple years ago, I got to learn a lot about what different Native American communities are doing to start growing these foods again and to preserve, you know, the seeds and, you know, going to farmer's markets and teaching the kids while they're young. And they're developing these different types of programs so that we can start to get off of the processed food and the outside help, you know, and feed our people within our people and it stays there. Um, so I definitely see a movement, you know, I'm seeing more uh, restaurants pop up and, you know, more interest in indigenous ways and indigenous cooking. Um, it's just about getting the resources and, you know, being able to get the grants and, and people that actually really want to make the difference um, in their communities. So we need to find different leaders in different communities. And um, it would be amazing to be able to set up some kind of universal project so that we could get this going, you know, for all the reservations. Um, and then also the urban kids having access to these foodways, um, because I work mostly with them. And if they don't have a connection to the reservation or a family out there, they never eat their traditional foods. Yeah, um, uh, whenever whenever I do talk about um, these um, about food sovereignty and indigenous food, I always kind of forget about the urban people who sometimes maybe mm-hmm. never ever have a taste of their ancestral foods and ingredients. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Exactly, and so they're so disconnect. You know, they're completely disconnected mm-hmm. from it, and if they don't have those, you know, those resources then how are, you know, they usually aren't going to take it upon themselves to go out there and forage, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's why, you know, when I did that traditional dinner last year with all those kids, it was great to get them out there, to get them in the dirt, you know, for them to understand the work and, and the intentions that were put into a meal, you know, and they were so proud of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I loved seeing that, you know, seeing them take pride in that meal from beginning to finish. It was a beautiful thing. Right. It is a beautiful thing. And uh, me too. I'm starting to see that movement. And that's why I wanted to start this podcast right away this year is because, um, you know, as uh, doing my job as a radio producer, looking at Native America every day, I'm starting to see more and more, even though I started doing this job like two years ago, you know, in those two years, I'm just finding new contacts and new um, programs and different communities that are starting up their gardens or starting to really um grab on to their ancestral uh, foods Mm -hmm. again and really put an emphasis on that and connecting that with food sovereignty and just sovereignty in general. And um, also, um, you know, looking at it in a healthy, in a health way, um, you know, to, to bring us back from, you know, obesity and diabetes. I mean, I hate to do, you know, I hate to talk about that, but this is always part of the conversation when we're talking Mm -hmm. about indigenous food Mm -hmm. and food sovereignty. Yeah. It's the elephant in the room, isn't it? 
isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it always does come back, you know, down to that. Most mm-hmm. definitely. But yeah, I definitely see the movement. And if we can help each other in Indian country, then we will succeed. You know, um, I went to the first Native American nutrition conference there ever has been last year in Minnesota. You know, and the fact that even that's happening shows that we're we're progressing towards making a change of food sovereignty, you know. Um, I definitely see a lot a lot of change ahead in the next coming years. So I, I do think that's pretty exciting. That was Donnell Barlow, certified holistic health coach and enrolled Ottawa. You can check out some recipes or episodes of Dance Jam Kitchen on her website, donnellbarlow.com. Toasted Sister was created by me, Andy Murphy. I'm Navajo and I come from Crown Point, New Mexico on the Navajo Nation. Check out ToastedSisterPodcast.com for more episodes. You can also subscribe to Toasted Sister on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and SoundCloud. This is a bi-monthly podcast, so check out new episodes every first and third Thursday of the month. Intro and outro music was created for Toasted Sister by C.W. Ione. You can find his music on Bandcamp. <laughs>